0: Hello everyone and welcome to the second bestiary entry for Sekiro Shadows Die Twice. Today we are going to be examining and exploring the Tengu, uh, both the Karasu Tengu, which is the bird Tengu, and the Yamabushi Tengu, which is the mountain long-nosed Tengu. I will be covering cultural notes, mythological notes, and we're going to also be speculating a bit on how Hidetaka Miyazaki and his team are going to approach portraying the Tengu in Sekiro Shadows Die Twice. So these bestiary entries have three sections. The first is history and lore notes. The second is aesthetic and combat speculation and notes. And the third is summary and conclusion. Just wrapping up my thoughts on what we've examined. The aim is to follow that structure and keep relevant information into their respective sections. However, I may jump around a little bit just if things occur to me as I'm analyzing and discussing. So let's crack on. The Tengu's origins are a combination of Indian, Chinese, and Japanese. Uh, These three cultures have sort of each had their hand in shaping what the Tengu is. For example, uh, the name Tengu is from the Chinese word for divine dog. However, over the years, the meaning has evolved to mean its own thing entirely within the context of the specifically Japanese mythological creature. So the Tengu are mountain and forest goblins with both Shinto and Buddhist attributes. Their supernatural powers include a shape-shifting into human and animal forms, the ability to speak to humans without moving their mouth, the magic of moving instantly from place to place without using their wings, and the sorcery to appear uninvited in the dreams of the living. So as I go along in this um, speculative uh, examination of how, Tengu will be portrayed in the context of Sekiro, I can't help but think about the story potential of Tengu in, for example, like a dream sequence uh, featuring uh, the young Lord as something that might feature within a nightmare. I do enjoy sequences in various kinds of media where perhaps cutting from a nightmare into real life, or there's just creative editing around what's what might be happening. When the audience or the player, in this case, is uncertain of whether or not something on screen, uh, a sequence, for example, is a a dream sequence or happening in real life, and considering the sort of deeply, uh, very evidently mythological and fantastical nature of Sekiro's world, I would just something that immediately popped to mind when I thought about Tengu appearing in dreams with messages. like uh, the, the cutscenes in Bloodborne for example uh, even though there weren't any strictly dream sequences but the uh, intro sequence uh, with the beast uh, crawling out of the puddle of blood and that i would love i loved that sequence so much and i would would have loved to see more of that kind of surreal dream-like imagery i'll be probably coming back to this refrain uh, a number of times throughout these bestiary entries and uh, my coverage of uh, Sekiro leading up to and following release The idea that the development team is now shifting their focus towards more single-player aspects. um, uh, Everything being diverted from what was formerly like multiplayer and customization into narrative and presumably world variety. Um, The verticality obviously of the platforming um, and that's going to play a lot into what I'll be discussing with the Tengu being very much uh, inherently a verticality uh, intrinsic enemies being that they fly. So just to wrap up my thoughts on that the idea of a dream sequence with Tengu at the start of the title would be amazing because again Tengu have a connotation as I'll explore later and and sort of inform you of in this video is that they have this um, aspect of being just like the flying monkeys from uh, Wizard of Oz like they they sweep people away and um, who better to abduct uh, a young lord um, in secret than a than a flock of tengu but that's just speculative and i am a self-confessed uh a great appreciator of the uh flying monkeys from wizard of oz i actually played a flying monkey when i was a kid in uh, primary school uh i made my own cardboard wings and everything and i've always had this sort of soft spot for um for that kind of creature in in mythology and, and folklore um and Uh, For me, my particular favorite kind of uh, Tengu, obviously, if I had to choose between the two, is the Karasu Tengu, which is the bird Tengu. Um, I love it so much. Another thing I want to highlight here is um, just as a cheeky kind of nod to From Software, the ability to speak without moving their mouth. That's a very From Software quality uh, in their animation, and there is some speculation in the online communities of whether or not um, From will carry that forward. So far, their titles haven't really featured much facial animation at all. It's actually kept to a very bare minimum, not very articulated. And we didn't see any evidence of it in the trailer. Um, But yeah, I just figured I'd make that little acknowledgement of uh, how, especially with the Tengu, it would be lore appropriate for them not to have facial animation. And I can't not discuss the uh, moving instantly from place to place uh, without use of their wings. I mean, we know in uh, the Souls games and in Bloodborne, extremely fast moving enemies, um, the Tengu would be an absolute shoe in for that. And what I feel that I will be experiencing along with uh, all of you for, for sure as we play... Um, Sekiro Shadows Die Twice is that uh, it'll feel like coming home in a way and it'll feel like we're going to be um, witnessing uh, the origins of a lot of what Dark Souls and Bloodborne did for example my fellow australian richard pillbeam uh, over at jerk sans frontier who you will know um, has uh, talked about uh, all the uh, japanese and shinto influences on uh, bloodborne and on uh, dark souls as well and uh, we've seen them obviously through the prism of that it, it being sort of rejigged for like a dark fantasy setting very westernized um But there's going to be something quite uh quite magical and quite profound about seeing a from game which really just completely dives into its own portrayal of it's like that as i said it's very close to home and uh hidetaka miyazaki has said very much the same thing in his interviews about uh, the premise and the setting and i gotta say even though I'm taking uh, I'm pausing the bus for quite a bit here on this point um, I'm very very happy to hear uh, that the team are so energized by their new direction and by taking it so close to home. Um, Yeah it's going to be a great journey to see how all these different creatures are portrayed by a Japanese team in a Japanese setting finally being able to do a one-for-one portrayal of all of these elements of Japanese mythology that they've only alluded to in a very um, diluted or um, very a sort of Easter-eggy kind of form. As Richard and his channel Jerks on Frontier have highlighted, there's all these vague allusions like For example, the mythology surrounding the moon and Master Willem, uh, and also the blood liquors and how they have some uh, very vague resemblances to um, certain Japanese creatures with the long hair, and the distended stomachs and all this. So let us crack on. The bird-like Tengu is the patron of martial arts. It is a skilled warrior and mischief maker, especially prone to playing tricks on arrogant and vainglorious Buddhist priests and punishing those who willfully misuse knowledge and authority to gain fame or position. Long ago, they also inflicted their punishments on vain and arrogant samurai as well, and they dislike braggarts in any form, especially those who corrupt the Dharma, which is the Buddhist law. So here is where, as I did with the Kappa video, I paused to speculate on whether or not we may have a possibility of a Tengu NPC. Now, as a big fan of the Rito uh, species in Zelda, my favorite portrayal of them so far being, by the way, in Breath of the Wild. (laughs) Goodness me, if we get anything even approaching the open world feel of Breath of the Wild with Sekiro, I'm, I'm gone, that would just be fantastic. But needless to say, the Rito themselves do take a bit from Tengu imagery as well. And so with the possibility of an NPC, just like as I mentioned with Kappa, you will see as I go along in describing the Tengu that they do have this dualistic aspects to them. And perhaps we may even have both kinds, an enemy kind of Tengu and a NPC Tengu for a possible hub area or certain places. Again, just chronicling what I see in my mind's eye when I'm looking at this material The idea of perhaps visiting a Tengu NPC on a high up ledge that we have to learn some particular skill to be able to reach them uh, and that if we do reach them they um, give us some new possible ability which may involve being able to fly or glide. Just me speculating on this is enough to make me excited and hyped at that because I am of the generation that used to enjoy the gliding mechanic in the old side-scrolling Atari Lynx Batman games, and any game that features a gliding mechanic, including obviously Breath of the Wild, just instantly gets my love, so I'm hoping for... All of these abilities that you're able to learn from different uh, mythological creature NPCs in different regions of the world of Sekiro, that would bring me a lot of happiness for sure. And I'm sure it would do the same for all of you as well. So the two characters for the name Tengu in Japanese is Heaven and Dog. In Chinese mythology, there is a related creature named Chenko so or Tiango, or Celestial Hound. The name is misleading, however, as the crow-like Tengu looks nothing like a dog. One plausible theory is that the Chinese Chenko derived its name from a destructive meteor that hit China sometime in the 6th century BC. The tail of the falling body resembled that of a dog, hence the name and its initial association with destructive powers. So again, when I think about what Hidetaka Miyazaki and his team may do with this is, again, maybe lean into the idea that there's this confusion and give them either dog-like attributes in terms of their design, and or incorporate their association with meteors, so perhaps one of their attacks could be like a meteor shower akin to the celestial attack in Bloodborne. So Tengu mythology was probably introduced to Japan in the 6th or 7th century AD, in conjunction with the arrival of Buddhism from Korea and China. From then onwards, these goblins appear in Japan's ancient documents from around 720 AD, and are closely associated with Mount Kurama in Japan near Kibune, the abode of the legendary whitehead Sojobo, the king of the Tengu, who is absolutely ripe for being portrayed either as a benevolent NPC of some kind, or if I know from the way I know from, quite likely a boss. And how phenomenal and tremendous would that be? We think we've seen from at their best with the nameless king, we have seen nothing yet. If they plan on portraying Sojobo in Sekiro Shadows Die Twice. In the myths and legends of Japan, the Tengu are said to emanate from the primordial Japanese god Susano or Tengu lore can be found not just in Buddhist circles, but also among Shinto, Budo and Ninpo groups. As late as 1860, the Edo government was posting official notices to the Tengu, asking them to temporarily vacate a certain mountain during a scheduled visit by the Shogun, which is again very imaginative and awesome that that was something that was actually done and I believe it's still done to this day the practice of acknowledging uh, these spirits and these creatures in uh, Japan. In paintings and woodblock prints the boar often appears as the steed of the Tengu or of their king Sojobo. Sojobo is closely linked to famed warrior Minamoto no Yoshitsune who lived from 1159 to 1189, one of Japan's most revered samurai. In a well-known legend, Yoshitsune lived among the Tengu in his youth and received training in the arts of war from Sojobo himself. Another possible interpretation relates to the following Zen story. One day, a hunter was in the mountains when he happened to see a snake killing a bird. Suddenly, a boar appeared and began to devour the snake. The hunter thought he should kill the boar, but changed his mind because he did not want to be a link in such a chain, and cause his own death by the next predator to come along. On his way home, he heard a voice call to him from the top of a tree. It was the voice of a Tengu. It told him how lucky he was, for had he killed the boar, the Tengu would have killed him. The man subsequently moved into a cave and never killed another animal. Tengu are also related to the winged Buddhist deity Garuda. Furthermore, Tengu are seen as transformations of Shinto Deities, Yama no Kami, Mountain Guardians of Harasu Tengu, identified by a bird's head and beak, and Konoha Tengu, distinguished by a human physique but with wings and a long nose. These are also called Yamabushi Tengu. This type of Tengu often carries a feather fan in one hand. Because of its long nose, Tengu are associated with the Shinto deity Saruda Hiko, who takes on the visage of a monkey, and Tengu masks play a prominent role in some religious festivals. Early Japanese popular tales such as those in the Konjaku Monogatari, portray Tengu as enemies of Buddhism, setting fires at temples, or tricking priests. Priests who attained special powers through religious discipline, but use these powers for their own ends, were thought to enter, in the next life, the transmigratory realm of Tengu-dō. So this is the implication that the Tengu have their own realm of existence, and if Sekiro is going to get weird, which I feel as though we are all fairly certain that it will, the idea of visiting different realms, again, would add another level of awesomeness and also provide us with that world state changing aspect that we saw in Bloodborne, but taken to a new level. For example, in the Tengu world in Sekiro, we may see a lot of really tall trees and the world may be fashioned so that a lot more verticality is needed to travel across Alternatively, we may also see simply a province or a region for the Tengu, um, where specifically the only way to traverse that area would be through the grappling hook and leaping from tree to tree, which if they do decide to have it so that when we have reached our goal of achieving or um, gaining the abilities or the properties uh, or like the gift or magic of the tengu on the way back the traversal would be much easier having been given the new abilities of the magic giver of the tengu for example the npc or the boss what have you this would put me in mind of something along the lines of Soul Reaver, the PlayStation 1 Legacy of Kane game, where we obtained different abilities across the world, and in each of those regions, there was an ability that was related to navigating that region. So that would be quite fascinating, and I'd really love it if that was included, but I'm quite sure that anything Hidetaka Miyazaki and his team decide to do, is going to be really good. They've earned our trust for sure. So the earliest representations of Tengu are in the Kamakura period, which criticise arrogant priests who end up becoming Tengu. According to legend, as a boy, the famous warrior Minamoto no Yoshitsune trained in magical swordsmanship with the Tengu king Sojobo, near Kuramadera, in the mountains north of Kyoto. Tengu are frequently shown in pictures concerning the life of Yoshitsune and the Momoyama period daimyo. Kobayakawa Takakage supposedly held dialogues with the Tengu king Buzenbo on Mount Hiko, Again, what this provides us with is this great precedent for essentially having an audience with the Tengu. If we were to think of something to just give you that visual on how the Tengu might be portrayed, think of the Valkyries from God of War and how I can imagine a great sequence where we meet with the Tengu in their own court or in their own domain. The character of Tengu gradually changed over the centuries. For instance, Tengu were long thought to abduct children but by the Edo period, they often were enlisted to aid in the search for missing children. Again, there's that great example of the dualism of whether or not we may see either or both evil and benign Tengu. Tengu became temple guardians, and sculpted images of them were placed on or around temple buildings. Tengu are also associated with Yamabushi, or mountain ascetics, whose form they often assumed. Illustrations of Tengu increased in popularity and variety during the Edo period, usually reflecting the more positive and even lighthearted conception of the once ferocious demon. In particular, the long nose of the Tengu carried both comic and sexual meaning in the Ukuyo-e prince. So there are often confusing traditions in regard to the word Tengu. It is said that the Emperor Jomei gave the name to a certain meteor, which whirled from east to west with a loud detonation. A more ancient belief informs us that the Tengu were emanations from Susa Ono O, the impetuous male, and there is even speculation that they were female demons with heads of beasts and great ears and noses of such enormous length that they could carry men on them and fly with their suspended burden for thousands of miles without fatigue. In addition, their teeth were said to be so strong and so sharp that these female demons could bite through swords and spears. What this reminds me of is that winged creatures in mythology are often said to be able to traverse different realms. And when I learnt of their ability to transition from male to female, or simply there being that variation in their portrayal, it put me in mind that they're able to move between the realms, so to speak. Also, as a side note, the idea that these creatures may be able to bite our swords right out of our hands, and possibly eat them or destroy them in some way, is really interesting and frightening. And that just made me think of whether or not we'll have a weapon repair at least, um, if not something technical like imbuing different weapons with different abilities if there is simply an NPC who we go to like a sword master to repair our weapons. To this end, it's actually mentioned in my research that Tengu are credited with extraordinary skills in sword fighting and weaponsmithing. So the very person we may see about... Um, repairing our weapons from a Tengu fight might be a friendly Tengu, him or herself, who may say some cheeky thing about recognizing these markings of damage and say something quite knowing about how they're going to repair it. Tengu sometimes serve as mentors in the art of war and strategy to humans they find worthy. Tengu live in colonies under the leadership of a single Tengu who is served by messenger Tengu, usually Karasu. More mischievous than evil, the Tengu are hatched from eggs like birds. So as we know, we have quite a bit of experience in the previous Hidetaka Miyazaki games in the form of the Corvians with bird-like enemies. However, I can see them incorporating both kinds of Tengu, the Yamabushi and the Karasu. For example, the Yamabushi Tengu could be the more powerful kinds and the Karasu Tengu could be the smaller, more multitudinous, and always-attacking-in-flocks kind of enemy. Speaking of the Karasu Tengu, these are portrayed as crow-like creatures with the body of a man, and as well as the aforementioned kidnapping of adults and children, they also started fires, and ripped apart those who willfully damaged the forest, for the Tengu live in trees. Sometimes, too, the Tengu would abduct human beings, only to release them later, but the lucky survivor would return home in a state of dementia called Tengu Kakushi, meaning hidden by a Tengu. Again, speculating on gameplay applications of this, it may be something akin to Frenzy in Bloodborne. Those who willfully mislead or misuse the Buddhist teachings are turned into the long-nosed Yamabushi Tengu, or sent to Tengudo, the realm of the Tengu. Corrupt Buddhist monks and corrupt Buddhist monasteries were in fact a major concern throughout Japan's Middle Ages. Tengu are thus seen as protectors of the Dharma, Buddhist law, and punish those who mislead the people. Over time, the folklore of Tengu and Yamabushi became intertwined, and even the Crow Tengu, the Karasu, began wearing the robes and caps of priests. Now we know one of the enemies is known as a corrupted monk, There's no great resemblance to Tengu, however, we've only seen a few stages of that particular boss's fight, which may just mean that its final form could possibly explode out and be some multi-winged Tengu that mixes some of the aesthetics of Murgo's Wet Nurse, for example. Who knows? A great martial arts master, Tsukahara Bokuden, received a divine instruction in the art of fencing from a mysterious Yamabushi Tengu named Enkai of Haguro Mountain, If I were to guess a name choice for a Tengu in Sekiro Shadows Die Twice, Enkai of Haguro Mountain definitely sounds like one. As mentioned before, the Tengu of Mount Hiko enlightened the swordsman Koboyakawa Takakage. In artistic portrayals of this meeting, Koboyakawa can be seen sitting, composed, ready to receive the Tengu's message, while his men recoil in fear. If we were to see any kind of recreation of these scenes, with the one-armed wolf in place of some of these figures from these ukiyo-e paintings, I would just lose it. What a beautiful thing to see in either a cutscene or as part of an environment. There is a Tengu story centered around Soto-zen Temple. As the myth goes, A young monk came to settle upon this mountain many centuries ago. He was determined to build a temple there, but soon found that he could not do it on his own. This is when he met the long-nosed winged Tengu named Doryo. After receiving the teachings of the monk, Doryo was so moved that he vowed to help build Saijoji Temple with his magical feats of strength and energy. Doryo then lifted a huge boulder and threw it to the centre of the clearing, stating that this would be the foundation. Today, you can actually visit this monastery. You will see the boulder wrapped in protective Shintō ropes, sitting in the middle of the compound. Nearby this is a well, with water that is said to have miraculous healing powers. People come from all over Japan to fill their jugs with this water and take it home with them. At the top of the compound, there is a shrine for Doryō, where it becomes clear that he has been elevated from Tengu status to that of Botitsava or Bosatsu status. The monks referred to him as Doryō Bosatsu. So on that solemn and positive note, that concludes the history and lore section. Now let's talk about the aesthetic and combat possibilities of Tengu in Sekiro Shadows Die Twice. As I mentioned in some of my stopovers in the lore section of how we may see Tengu portrayed I have an immediate feeling and a gut feeling that Tengu will be swarming enemies. Um, We will see something that evokes but doesn't directly reference the Corvians, for sure, um, in terms of their uh, sounds and their sort of general feel. But I also see the Tengu as being an opportunity not just to portray something as a snivelling and wild beast. I would love to have it hinted in their design that there is something deeper to Tengu culture setting Sekiro in the Sengoku period, an actual historical period, removes that restrictive context of the world ending which was evidenced in Dark Souls, or the idea that it's all a nightmare or all a dream, as is the context with Bloodborne. Both of these contexts lend themselves to designs having a subjective nature, the idea being that in Dark Souls' case, the detail on armor is eroding and there are undead creatures everywhere, But Sekiro's setting really gives us the opportunity for seeing so much more color and so much more detail. So my personal preference for the portrayal of the Tengu is that we lean into their association with Yamabushi aesthetics and we see so many amazing colorful and detailed designs in their robes as well as dem robe physics. And as I mentioned with the Kappa video, it would be great to gain the ability to turn enemy Tengu into enemies mid-combat using some kind of ninjutsu sigil similar to Geralt's Axie sign. That would be phenomenal. I'd really enjoy that. On a sound design note, because I don't want to miss out on that, I would love to hear something really interesting being done with the Tengu's sound design. To this day the enemy that gives me the greatest jump out of my skin feeling are the crows from Bloodborne. They are absolutely horrifying. (laughs) So if they're able to top that With secular Shadows Die Twice, that would be a feat indeed. Imagine a swarm of Tengus coming at you from behind an edifice or from deep within a cavern. Those Karasu Tengu just flocking around you. It's enough to equally bring a great smile to your face, but also bring dread to your heart, because that would be terrifying and awesome at the same time. So in summary, I believe that Hidetake Miyazaki and his team are going to make something really unique out of their portrayal of the Tengu, if they choose to do so. Again, this is a speculative bestiary series. However, I am basing my choices for the entries in this series on a mixture of certainty that comes from the stated premise of Sekiro, which is Sengoku era Japan with heavy mythological and fantastical overtones. But it's also informed speculation based on my experiences with him and his team's previous titles. I want to see all the different kinds of Tengu in different and varied ways. I would love for there to be a dream sequence where Tengu do show up uninvited in some character's dream. I would love a sequence that evokes Bloodborne's beast emerging from the blood sequence at the start of the title, along the lines of perhaps the young Lord being abducted in his dreams by a group of Tengu that would be so evocative and cool. And overall, in case you can't tell so far, this is my most anticipated creature for Secutor, shadows die twice. I hope you've all enjoyed this bestiary entry. Have a wonderful rest of your day. Be well, until next time.